Welcome to Book Wasted. We drink, we review, we revel. That's Jessica. And that's Krista. So today, our topic in this episode is unexpected love, because sometimes it can hit you and mess you up like an oncoming train. To explore this topic, we read and we'll be reviewing Me Before You by Jojo Moyes. Question mark on how to pronounce our name. <laughs> Apologies, Jojo, if we say it wrong. We're sorry, Jojo. So what are we drinking today, Jessica? Today we are drinking Pim's Cup. And, sorry, I had to put emphasis on that. I found it's so hard to pronounce, like, double M's. We also did that backwards. You were supposed to introduce the topic. Was I? I was supposed to do the drink. Well, I like how this turned out. It's fine. Let's it's just fine. roll with it. We're just rolling with it. Right. Whatever. Keep going. Do what we want. It's Welcome to our podcast. podcast. Oh my goodness. Hello, people. All right. So today, we are drinking Pim's Cup. Pim's Cup is to England what sangria is to Spain. It's a delightful, refreshing beverage that is served like at the wedding that Will and Louisa attend, which the wedding is Will's ex-girlfriend and his best fucking friend. Rude. Louisa gets a little tipsy on it because she didn't realize there was alcohol in it. In it, Louisa's like, "But there's fruit in it." But there's fruit in there's it. There's fruit. There shouldn't be any alcohol in it. I'm sorry, that was a terrible accent. <laughs> I'm not gonna do this. <laughs> okay. Anyways, agree, Louisa. I think I'm on my. This is your third one. Delicious. So this drink is so refreshing. You should also probably make it in a pitcher so that you can have more than one at a time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's one part Pim's number one which is a gin-based beverage. It has 25% alcohol in it. Um, two parts ginger ale or sparkling lemonade. Uh, Krista actually likes the ginger ale better, and I like the sprinkling lemonade better. You can also use 7-Up or Sprite, but it will make it significantly sweeter. Add a bunch of fucking fruit, apples, grapes, oranges, and mint. <laughs> Some people add cucumber, because you are supposed to add cucumber to it, but Krista hates it. I hate cucumber. Hate cucumber. So weird. I, okay, like some people, like I will try or eat just about anything, to be perfectly honest. Cucumber and celery are the two things on the list, the only two things on the list that I will absolutely not eat. Hmm. I don't feel like that's weird. All right, you're right. It's not weird. I mean, you and I both like pineapple on our pizza. Well, yeah, because it's delicious. Because it's delicious. Yeah. I mean, there are Whatever some people. Whatever all you haters. Right. There are some people who don't even eat seafood. <clears throat> My husband. Like, how? How? It's delicious. Yeah, everybody's got different tastes. They do. Anyways, before we get too far off topic, let's cheers. Cheers. To this drink. Pim's, Pim's cup. I feel like say. Pim's cup. Pim's cup. Can I get a Pim's? Pim's. Yeah, can we go to the, go to the can bar? Can, get, like, Pim's. can I get a Pim's? Um, it feels like I should be drinking out, out of like a teacup. Oh, really? Like a tiny little dainty teacup. I don't think so. I don't think it would fit, but like the name. Oh, the name. Like makes me want to drink it out of a teacup. Out of a teacup? Yes. Anyways, would you like to tell us about our author? Yes. So, Jojo, or Pauline Sarah Jo Moyes, who <laughs> was born on August 4th, 1969 in Maidstone, England. Before attending university, Moyes held several jobs as a typist, a brochure writer, and a minicab controller for a brief time. Hmm. Fun stuff. You always got to make ends meet, right? Yep. After graduating from Royal Holloway, University of London, London, and attending a postgraduate at City University, she then went on to work at the Independent for the next 10 years in various roles. So she just, like, 
kind of like just moved her way up like in this company what's the independent it's a newspaper okay i I thought so i just wanted to make sure i was on the same page it's just like it's like the guardian like it's just in like gotcha over in across the pond across the pond okay it's across the pond okay um, by 2002, she became the newspaper's arts and media correspondent. Ooh. So fancy. JoJo was married to another journalist, Charles Arthur, who she met at the Independent. So early in her writing career, she wrote three manuscripts that were all initially rejected. Dang. No, this sucks. Yeah. So she had a kid, and she had another one on the way, and she just told herself that like if her fourth manuscript was rejected, she would stop writing. You know, but what she did was she sent three chapters to like various pu- publishers, and then there was like a bidding war who was going to start like who was oh, going to wow. publish this book. So I'm so happy for her that she got this started. So in 2002, she became a full time novelist um, when her first book, uh, Sheltering in the Rain, was published. So her first seven novels didn't do very well in the market. But um, it wasn't until 2012, the novel Me Before You was published. Her regular publishers didn't even want to publish it, actually. What? Yeah, so she sold it to Penguin. And now, you know, this book has sold 6 million copies and was number one in nine countries. Jesus. She has also written two sequels Yeah. for it, starring Louisa Clark, our main character. Um, the first one is After You, published in 2015, and Still Me. In 2018, I haven't read either of these, and I do want to see how Louisa grows, but I don't know if I want to read a book without Will Trainer in it. So I have After You, and I haven't. I bought it years and like probably right after I read Me Before You the first time. Have and you I read it? Nope, because I I think I read the first chapter or two, and I was like, but where's Will? Where's Will? And I think that's what's happening with Louisa. Like, yeah. she's having to experience life with Will Trainer, and as a reader, I am refusing... To experience life without him. With, without Will Trainer. Yeah. So, anyways, that's and just... That's, and that's my choice as a reader. <laughs> this is my choice. It's my choice. There's a bunch of choices in this novel, yep. and this is my choice. This is my choice. <laughs> so, the film adaptation of Me Before You, starring Emilia. Amelia... But it's spelled with an E. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's Amelia. I don't know. Anyways, I just know this is my thing. I'm never going to be able to pronounce anything correct in my Emilia? life. Emilia? What the hell? I feel like that could work. Look at the way it's spelled. No. It could no. work. You know what? First of all, you can pronounce <laughs> your name any way you fucking want to pronounce your name. Right, but she doesn't pronounce her name Emilia. I could she, say it's just Ica. She pronounces it Amelia. Just Ica. Continue. Anyways, um, and Sam Claflin was released in 2016. <laughs> this movie was a hit. Uh, she JoJo wrote the screenplay for the film. So, side note, dear Hollywood, please allow the authors to do their own fucking screenplays. Yep. Seconded. I just think that would save a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. So, she had a lot of ideas for this book. Um, like, a lot of them were organic for her, but... The issue about the quality of life comes from two relatives that she has Mm. who are facing life in care homes and knows that one of them would have chosen any other alternative to that existence. So Mm. a lot of, like, this book does come from from her own personal experience. She Mm -hmm. also did, like, a lot of research um, on quadriplegia, like, you know, watching, like, YouTube videos about, like, you know, how quadriplegics do live their life, like, throughout the day. Mm -hmm. 
She also had a pair of strappy tights that she loved as a child and wanted Lou to be from a small town rather than a city as she also lives in a small town and finds it fascinating that people can find the greatest comfort in the town but also incredibly stifling Mm -hmm. at the same time. Jojo lives on a farm in Great Samford, Essex with her husband and three there are three children. She enjoys riding her ex racehorse Brian as well as tending to all of her numerous animals. So, to end her biography, I'm going to quote an interview because as a reader, we're always asking ourselves, why is, like, my author making me cry so much? So, interviewees asking, have you ever cried while writing a scene in any of your books? Jojo says, always. If I don't cry while writing a key emotional scene, my gut feeling is it's failed. I want the reader to feel something while reading, and making myself cry has become my litmus test as to whether that's working. It's an odd way to earn a living. Okay. I'm glad she cries too. Yeah, I'm glad you're not just like sitting there creating these lives and destroying them. Because that's exactly how I imagine like George R.R. Martin just sits there and like giggles to himself. (laughs) I'm sorry. Like a little chuckle. Oh, a little. Like Like when he kills off a character. (laughs) I I do that too. But like a deep throated chuckle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's exactly what I imagine. I hope that cut on, like, the microphone. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's, yeah, I'm glad she cries. You know, I appreciate an author who cries when she makes her readers cry. Yeah, experience my pain. Please. (laughs) God. You created it. You created it. You made this happen. You made this happen. I need you to experience it. All right, so now that we've kind of talked about the book, like, kind of, Done like a little bit of a tease. Um, what's it about, Krista? All right, so I want to read a review that's on the back of the book really quickly. <laughs> okay. Just to maybe give our readers a little preparation. Um, this a quote is from the Oprah magazine. Mm-hmm. Oh, apparently. That's what it's called. Oh. 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 Right. It says, to be, va- to be devoured like candy between tears. And I feel like that was pretty appropriate. Like, it was one of those books that I, like, wanted to read a lot, but I cried. And we'll get into the the crying part a little bit later. Yes, Anyways, so the book is about Louisa Clark. She's from a very small town in England, and she lives a very ordinary, regular life until she loses her job, pretty much. Her um, boss, she works at a cafe, and her boss sells the cafe He's leaving, and so now she has to find a new job. So she finds a new job, and she is going to be caretaker's not the right word, but companion maybe might be a better word yeah. to a quadriplegic man. His name is Will Trainer. He's about eight or nine years older than she is. Ancient. Ancient in that situation. <laughs> um, she shows up on the very first day, and he is a fucking asshole. He just hates her. He hates everybody. He's just so mean. He does a Christy Brown impression from, like, my left foot. Right. Yeah. It's terrible. It's awful. He's the worst. And then they spend some time together, and they get to know each other a little bit better. And again, a lot of details that we're not going to cover in the summary, because we're going to talk about it in the actual episode, happen. And they end up falling in love with each other. So, Louisa finds out pretty early on that she pretty much has... She's only been signed on for a six-month contract to work for him, 
because he's given his parents six months before he goes to Switzerland to a place called Dignitas, where they allow assisted suicide. So he is set on this. This is what he's doing. And so Louisa thinks she can change his mind. And her parents are hoping that he can, that she can change his mind. And unfortunately, in the end, he does not change his mind. And he still goes through with it. And he dies six months after they meet. And it's depressing. Yeah. So that's my summary. I feel like this was a pretty easy book to summarize. Yeah? Yeah. Shortest summary you've ever done. I know, right? I didn't even write that one down. Oh my goodness. Flying by the seat of my pants. Flying by the seat of your pants. I love that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) How often do we do that? Probably a lot more than we realize. I think it's a lot more than we realize because we've (laughs) known each other for so long. So I think like when other people like come into this like kind of relationship, they're like, whoa. Whoa. What's happening? Yeah, make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay, characters. Do you want to start with Louisa? Or do you want to start with Will? Or do you want to start with somebody else? Ooh, see, I have so many deep points about Louisa. Like, I'm worried okay. about starting with her. I mean, I feel like this is these are going to be deep intellectual conversations anyways. Okay. And I feel like there's really any way around that because, trigger warning, we are going to deal with some sexual assault. Um, assisted suicide. Assisted suicide. Like, like, this is very tough conversations that mm-hmm. we're about to have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with a lot of these romance novels, just can I question if it's appropriate for us to drink? Like, Oh, absolutely. Because... Because what do you what do you drink in these kinds? Of- I'm so glad there was a drink that they drank in, in this, this book. book yeah. Other than that, I would have made like a misery martini. Right. I mean, what yeah. else am I supposed to do? Exactly. Or like the yeah. fault in our stars. Like I'm so glad they love champagne because mm-hmm. what am I supposed to drink? Right. It's not appropriate. Something to to to. Oh my God, words. Something to numb the pain. Yeah. Basically, that's what alcohol yeah. is for a lot of us. That's true, yeah. Numbs the pain. Numbs the pain. Okay, so where would you like to start with characters? Let's talk about our characters. All right, let's just go with Louisa. Okay. Um, do you want to start maybe with, like, like, I have a point or two about Patrick. Oh, Patrick. You want to talk, you want to start about, start with Patrick? All right, let's talk about Patrick then. All okay. right, fucking Patrick. So, Patrick is Louisa's boyfriend of seven years. Yep. And, um, started off as kind of a chubby kind of guy, and then now I just turned into Marathon Man, and all he does is wants to talk about fitness, wants to talk about training, and doesn't pay any attention to Louisa at all, mm-hmm. or any of her feelings, or, but I also think, like, Louisa doesn't want to invest any time in Patrick either. So, after seven years, they're not safe. living together, they're not talking about getting married, like... My feeling is that he is a placekeeper for her, mm-hmm. and she is a placekeeper for him. And like you said, because he's safe. She even says that. She she says one time uh, she thought on their first date, this man will not hurt me. And, and he hasn't. And he hasn't. But, too, like, they don't have a strong relationship because she's just always trying not to get hurt, you know. Right, and that's something we'll talk about in, like, in a little bit later, yeah. but, so, Patrick, played by Neville Longbottom mm. in the movie. His name is Matthew Lewis in <laughs> right, real life. Right, right, Harry Potter nerd. That's his name! Nerd. I feel like it's wrong for me to know that. I just know it's Neville. His name is Matthew Lewis. Okay, so, played by Matthew Lewis. I think he did a really good job playing Patrick. Yeah. 
Um, just that whole kind of epitome, like, yeah, you just gotta be, like, inspired, Woo. He's, like, kind of, like, annoyingly optimistic. I feel like we all know people that are like that, especially on Instagram, where they're just like, just keep going, strive, just do it, work out, wake up, get games. Yeah. And you're like, and I feel like Luis is like, shut up. Yeah. Excuse you. You don't even know what I'm going through. I love the scene where he's hanging out with all of his, like, triathlon guys. They're at a bar. Mm-hmm. None of them are even drinking. Or eating. Or eating anything. They're all just drinking mineral water. Yeah. And she's, like, just thinking to herself and all this stuff. And then, like, at the very end, she, like, she was talking to Patrick about Will, and he wasn't really, like, listening to her. And then she's like, so I ordered a cheesecake. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And I just, I love that kind of, like, personality about yeah, I Louisa. Yeah, is that, like, she's hanging out with all these, like, people who are, like, super into fitness, and that's all mm-hmm. they're talking about. And, like, she's there supporting him, and I think that's a great quality, because after a while, I would be extremely annoyed and would not even want to go and hang out with my boy's boyfriend's friends. Mm-mm. She even says at one point it sounds like they're speaking a different language. It is a different language. They're yeah. talking about macros, micros, carbs, mm-hmm. calories. That's a totally different language. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is to me. Times, <laughs> Yeah. Times. Weights. It's weights. ridiculous. They're talking about, you know, oh, did you try, like, that new, like, lightweight bike? Right. Yeah. Just weird shit. Just weird. But what I do think is really interesting is um, Patrick's jealousy mm-hmm. that he starts to get when um, Louisa and Will start getting closer. Yeah. And at first, like, you know, Louisa's like, whatever, Patrick, nothing's happening. But Patrick's not dumb. Like, he can tell that Louisa's starting to get emotionally connected mm-hmm. to Will. Yeah. And I think that Louise and Patrick just come to this realization that it's just not going to work out. Yeah. And then I believe that Patrick only asked Louisa to move in with him when Louisa was like, yeah, Will asked me to stay over at his place for the weekends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He absolutely only asked her to move in so that she wouldn't stay with Will's. Yeah. And, like, they've been together for seven years and, like, they're not even living together. Nope. And, you know, sometimes it is convenience that forces you to live with your partner, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be only convenience. And I think for them it was only convenience and a little bit of jealousy. Yeah, I think it was only convenience at the time. And, like, before that, Louise has even stated, like, being with her family feels more like home. And she's always hated Patrick's place. Yep. She doesn't like, it feels too bachelor pad. It's yeah. too industrial. Too industrial. So, you know, to your first point, like, Patrick... I really don't think she actually loves Patrick. Nope. Not in, like, the way that we think of, want to think of love. Mm-hmm. And then he's just there. He's just there. Uh, she, you know, they got together after she was assaulted, and she felt safe with him. And so instead of putting herself in an, in a position where she would have to change that out of her comfort zone, she just stayed with him. Right, because she's not going to go out drinking and flirting. And, right. You know, put herself in situations like that. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, that's, I think she specifically is staying in this relationship to be safe. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Neville. 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 Neville, Neville grew up well. Oh, he did. Hey, hey. Matthew. 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 Okay. <laughs> what character do you want to talk about now? Um, I know you have several points about their families, like, contrastingly. I have one point that I would like to say about Louise's family very specifically, and we don't okay. have to go into family contrast right now. But maybe we should like kind of like you know talk about families and then go into Louisa and Will. Okay, let's do that. Okay, so my one point specifically about Louise's family is they are mean to her. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's like British humor 
Or if they're just being mean. No, I think they're just being mean. I mean, they are always talking her down. I mean, at one point, so I have a quote, and her dad says this after she gets the job um, taking care of Will. If it wasn't punishment enough ending up in a ruddy wheelchair, wheelchair, then you go get our Lou turning up to keep you company. Oh, I remember like, that. Like, that's rude. That's rude. She's the main income of your yes. household, and you're going to treat her like and that? And you're going to treat her like that? And, like, it does change a little bit toward the end where she gets to keep her nice bedroom or whatever. But, like, n- no, it doesn't because then the sister comes back and takes the bedroom again, you know? And yeah. it's like she pretty much gets kicked out, kicked out of her house because the bedroom situation keeps getting changed every weekend. And it's just... They're just so mean to her. I just really did not like that. I don't think they realize how hard she works. Or the pressure that she's under. Right. Or the pressure that she's under. And, I mean, of course they don't know about, you know, what ha- what had happened to her. But that she's basically, you know, also still staying because she feels like her parents need her. They do. I mean, at one point she is literally the only person working in the household. Mm-hmm. And they're still treating her like shit. Yeah. And I just, I just could not get over how mean they were to her. Yeah. No, so I many times. Either. Yeah, it was I, awful. Very mean. I mean, but I, that's what, like my kind of thing where I was thinking, I was like, is that just possibly like British humor? Like that kind of like, you know, joking with each other because she was still like, you know, like her mom seems so loving and always wants to like take care of people. Yeah, and, like, some of it, I think, can be chalked up to British humor, but I think some of it is just just rudeness because they're always comparing her to her sister. They're always putting her down because her sister is better, smarter, you know, funnier, whatever. Yeah. You know, and Louisa dresses weird, you know, and so they make fun of her for that. You know, it's like all these things are always giving her shit all the time. Yeah, I love the line and, that uh, Trina has where, like, Lou, like, quotes Trina and, like, Trina says she dresses okay, turn like... Your- I need you to face the mic. Do you want me to face the mic? Or do you want me to face this way? No, I need you to face the mic because otherwise I can't hear you. (laughs) Woman, bring your notebook over here. Okay, there. It's better. Thank you. The quote is, uh, Lou dresses like she had a wrestling match in a charity (laughs) shop. Yeah, I wrote that down too. (laughs) And like, when I was watching the movie, I was like, damn, but this girl looks fabulous. I mean, like, they're describing her outfits and I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound terrible. I know, that doesn't sound terrible. No. That's trendy right now. Right now, but think about it. That was mid to late early 2000s you know what i mean she wasn't wearing those uh g-strings with those low rise jeans right the super low rise jeans with Mm -hmm. the chunky highlights and the several collared t-shirts you know Mm -hmm. collared shirts all layered together like yeah denim on denim britney jt style uh, um useless belts use oh i loved those yeah ties as necklaces I never did that, but I did the useless belts one. I did the three belt, actually. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing you in several belts at one point. I was like, I can make this work. Mm, you did. Can you rocked it. Can make it look good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. I loved a good belt. <laughs> it's so funny now. I only have two belts in my closet. Yeah, I only have one belt. There you go. It's a black belt. That's I, all you need. I only wear it when I know my belt loops are going to be showing, like from wearing a crop top or something. And that's when you want to wear your belt? Because my ass is big enough to keep my pants up. It sure is. <laughs> I wanted to give you a good section that you could cut out. Oh, okay. Thank you. Anyway, so we were talking about Louise's clothes. We were talking about Louise's clothes. And her family and how, honestly, they're really rude to her for someone who's 
the main bread earner. She's called a character by her father, but her mom calls her an individual. Yeah, like, like when they're, sometimes they're just straight up rude, and other times they, like, try to veil it, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, most of the time they're just mean. Yeah. And then just... I think a lot of it is also because, you know, she deals with, like, a sibling who is so smart. Like, she passed her up, like, you know, twice. Mm-hmm. Um in like grade school yeah and you know like she has a sibling who always had like so much potential and is always like overpowering her mm-hmm. which is also something that kind of like you know will deals with with his sister georgina because georgina feels like will has always been the center of his parents attention as well right when he before his accident and then after his accident right and i feel like that's how lou feels she always knew that trina which is lou's sister was the center of attention before Trina got knocked up, and after she had Thomas as well. Mm-hmm. I just love that parallel. Yeah. I find it quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I didn't really think about that before, but that's a good, that's an interesting right? point. Yeah. Well, it's also, um, so this is like, I really want to go into like another family contrast because you have like this castle here, um, and you know, Will's family like owns this castle. They don't own, don't it. own it. No, I feel like they own it. His dad is like the manager of it. I think they like the movie. Like they kind of like it's like insinuate the owner. Insinuates. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. So you have this castle. You have like this town, but like the castle and the town, it's like that typical highborn life, like smashed up against like ordinary people. Mm-hmm. And you know, Louisa was always just a castle away from Will. Mm, yeah and i just think that that's really interesting how she was always just a castle away and will even ask her in the book like how come our paths have never crossed Mm -hmm. and she told him like we don't run in the same social circles no absolutely not you would not have even noticed me also a large age gap oh yeah eight years that's a large age gap yeah you know i mean like with dating like nowadays like that after you're 25 it just shrinks yeah, but, so, like, like he left after school. She didn't, but, like, he mm-hmm. went to university. He around went and got a big job. Yeah, he's been around the world. So, like, the the time that they would have had the opportunity to interact with each other was when they were in school. Yeah. They never would have been in the same school, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know exactly how schools work in the UK, but, like, you know, high school pretty much is four years, you know? So you have about a four-year age gap from the oldest to the youngest, at least here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're not going to have an age gap of necessarily eight years. It's not like she would have been a freshman and he would have been a senior. Yeah, you're not going to cross paths. I Mm-mm. mean, shit, there's people I went to high school with that I don't know. We also went to a very large high school. Uh, 800 people in our graduating class. 4,000 people in the whole school when we were there. So a lot of fucking people. That is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that that was a really interesting contrast in the book. Like, they, like they're crazy, like, social dynamics that mm-hmm. they have. So let's say, for example, you know, when Will comes over for, like, Louise's birthday, she's embarrassed a little bit by, like, what he's going to think about the house. But Will actually fits in with her family, like, so well. He's charming. He's affable. Mm-hmm. He's not his normally used his usual sarcastic and caustic self. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that was adorable. It was adorable. My favorite scene in the book. It's just so sweet because he's like, oh, there's something for the family. Will you grab it from my backpack? And then the... Never mind, we'll talk about those later. (laughs) 
it, it was a great scene. It really, I think, showed a softer side to Will that we hadn't really seen before. Yeah. Um, and her family was so concerned about him coming over. Mm-hmm. They were extremely accommodating. Her dad built a ramp. Yeah, up their front steps. Like, how fucking great is that? That's so amazing. Yeah. And I do think it's really interesting how in the book it's described, this household of losers, like, it's loud. It's, like, filled with people. And it's filled with people who, like, sometimes, like, have, like, you know, differences, but who ultimately really do love each other. Yeah. And then you go over to Will's household and you don't have, like, this loud and boisterous attitude. Like, everybody's quiet and they don't really ever talk about their feelings. Right. Except for, for Georgina, who just randomly comes in from Australia. Um, and I just, I really like that juxtaposition Yeah, with like, you know, different type of family styles because I have no idea what Camila is thinking, mm. who is Will's mother until I get a chapter of her and this whole time. I'm like, she's yeah. such a bitch. <laughs> yeah. She's not. But she's not. I mean, she is in such a terrible position. She's in a terrible, terrible position. You know, um, she... She even says, like, before Will had his accident, like, even as a kid, like, he had been pushing her away. Oh, always. Like, she always felt like she was in the wrong somehow by Mm -hmm. him, even though she hadn't done anything wrong. And then her husband's cheating on her. And then, you know, her her son, who's in his 30s, is off being his very successful self and then gets into a debilitating accident um, and have to come home and, and live under their roof again. I mean, it's just, I can't imagine the turmoil that she deals with on a daily basis. Mm-mm. Well, something they don't really show in the movie is that, I mean, in the book, like there's so much religious aspects. Mm, yeah. Um, like from her. So what I really love about this book, is like, you know, there's a, like a third of it. It's like Louise's point of view, Louise's point of view. And then we get a random chapter from Camilla. We get another random chapter from Nathan, who is um, Will's medical nurse. Mm-hmm. And then we get a chapter from Trina. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I loved each of those chapters because yeah. I feel like as readers, we always want to know like what the other character is thinking and we will never get that right? unless we get like, I don't know, like Stephanie Meyer writing like Edward's point of view for like the Twilight series. Right. Um, but that chapter by with Camilla really brought to light like her really tough situation. Not only though, is she going through like that affair with her husband, her, her son, like, you know, in this horrible situation She's also a magistrate. She's a judge. Mm-hmm. And then being a judge, her son has asked her to help him, like, with... Assisted suicide. Assisted suicide. Which is technically illegal. Yeah. Like, she could be prosecuted when she comes back mm-hmm. from Switzerland. Yeah. And it's putting her in a very difficult situation. Yeah, absolutely. And then she's also extremely religious as well. Mm-hmm. Because she, during, in the book, she's always playing with her cross necklace. Yeah. And, like, every time she feels, like, anxiety or turmoil, she's, like, playing with her, like, cross necklace. She doesn't know what to say or, you know, she's always reaching to her cross necklace. And, two, I I thought it was interesting. Like, sure, the religion plays a part, but she never lets it sway her decision or sway the way she deals with her son and his choice. I think, ultimately, like, her, besides, what I love about Camilla is that, like, yes, she's a magistrate. Yes, she's religious, but first and foremost, she's Will's mother, mm-hmm. and that's what ma- helped her make that decision, because yeah. she's his mother, and she's in a terrible situation, but she wants Will to have his own choice, and it to be a respectful choice. Yeah. I think I really liked that part of it. Um, speaking of, that was my first cry. That was your first cry? That was my first cry. 
Thank you. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm getting delivered food. <laughs> Living my best life. I love you. You are totally living your best <laughs> life right now. Krista just got delivered Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Oh my gosh. I'm just so happy. Wow, that was the so best sad. favor I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my so goodness. I'll for it later. No. Not. Anyways, I'm going to be really loud for a second. I'm going to try not to eat while we record, but I'm not making any promises. <laughs> so Krista gets like, Krista's super hangry. Yep. She's like the epitome of hangry every time we've gone on like road trips and stuff because I don't stop. No, and like you also are one of those people, like you get hungry once a day. Yeah, I do only get hungry once a day. Wesley's that way too. Like he wants a, one singular big meal throughout uh-huh. the day and I want several small meals throughout the day. So I have to remind both of you <laughs> Food that meat. I need to be fed at regular intervals. <laughs> so anyways. So I've been hangry and cranky this whole time Jessica's been here, and I greatly apologize. And, like, I came over, and Chris was like, are you hungry? I'm like, no, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks. I'm not hungry. You both suck. Thanks. And I've been craving pizza like crazy. I know. And I was counting on Jessica to come over and be eat hungry. pizza with me. I'm sorry. And you just failed me as a friend. I definitely did. <laughs> I agree. That's all right. It's okay. I'll take that demerit. It's fine. <laughs> Just add it to my friend card. Just add it. It's fine. It's okay. I can take that. Right. Okay, cool. Well, we really went into, like, Camilla there. We did go into Camilla. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't that. expected. I love how we delved into that conversation. Yeah. Now, we haven't really gone to, like, Louisa and Will yet. Did you want to talk about Nathan any, which is, like, you know, Will's nurse? Um, I don't have any, like, deep points about Nathan. I mean, no. I think what he the job that he does is admirable dealing um, extremely. with uh, these people who, you know, like Will, he's a caustic person um and he's cool like he and nathan are cool you know like they get along pretty well but um i can't imagine what their first encounter must have been like i try to imagine what it must have been like right what do you imagine it was like um i imagine it like as nathan not taking any shit from will Mm -hmm. because i what i really love about like nathan's like character he just like seems so like calm like, kind of, like, willing to put up with stuff, but also, like, you know, kind of, like, rolls with the punches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that he also got a chapter as well. Mm-hmm. And his chapter was, like, an observance of, like, seeing how Will and Louisa had grown, like, super close. Yeah. After and, This was after the wedding. Yeah, right after the wedding. Mm-hmm. And he was seeing, like, the looks that they were, like, passing between each other. Yeah. Because Louisa had forgot to change, like, Will's catheter. Like, Nathan was pissed. Mm-hmm. But he could tell something had changed between them. Right, rather than just being friends, they were more than friends at this point without having to say any words. Mm-hmm. We all know what that feels like. Yeah. That chemistry. Absolutely. That, like, that change from friends to possibly something else. Mm-hmm. It's honestly a beautiful change. I love that it is. feeling. It's a good feeling. Gosh, that, that excitement of something new mm-hmm. that could possibly happen from somebody that you love and that you respect as a yeah. person. And I think, too, it doesn't necessarily have to be romantic. I think that can be a platonic feeling as well. I'm talking about, like, that feeling in your loins. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's not quite what I was talking about. But okay. I get it. I understand where you're coming from. It's exciting. It's new. Yeah. I've only had that once, you know. Good for you. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. So good. Yeah. (laughs) I can't really attest to that. It hasn't happened in a really long time. But, like... I do think it can happen platonically, you know, like, I have felt that shift between friends, you know, like, someone that I, um, I have several, like, 
friends that used to be co-workers. Like, and I could feel that shift from not being co-workers anymore to being friends. To actually being friends. Yeah, and it's a really nice feeling. I, I, okay, I get that. And it's a good feeling that, like, can be, like, observed. Yeah. By others. Like, you're more than just co-workers, you're friends. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, should we, oh my gosh, we do have to talk about Will's dad, though. Yeah. I'll let you start. All right. So, Mr. Trainer. Mr. Trainer. We never get his first name. Uh-uh. No. Um, the reason why I really do want to talk about him is because it's everybody in the household knows that he's having, like, extramarital affairs. Mm-hmm. And it's an extramarital affair with, like, one person at this time. At this time. Because Camille is always thinking, like, oh, another one. Or there was this one time where Mr. Trainer was saying, like, oh, yeah, this Louisa, like, she's something, isn't she? And Camilla thinks, like, not her. Mm-hmm. Not, not this one. And it's just, it sounds, seems like it's something that's ongoing, but yeah. we get a little bit of a thought process from his dad. Like, he's yeah. hanging out with, like, his mistress mm-hmm. at the time. Because we get a chapter from him, too. Yeah, we do, but it's very short. Mm-hmm. Like, with, like it's, it's, it's almost, like, nothing, like, too crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's really this chapter about how, like, he would have left his family if it hadn't been for his son. And he even thinks to himself, because he also thinks that he knows that his mistress is thinking these horrible thoughts. Mm-hmm. And his mistress' name is, like, Della. Uh, yeah, weird, it's a weird name. Weird fucking name. So weird. And, like, the horrible thought is that what she might be thinking is that she could have him if Will died. And that they're really just waiting for Will to die. They're just waiting for Will to die. Which is terrible. But also, like... Can you imagine being in her position? Like, not, not, don't look at me like that. I just mean, like, you're waiting for your life to happen, you know? That makes sense. Yeah. But, but everybody in this situation is waiting for something to happen. Shut up. That was such a deep point right there. <laughs> oh my God. So you're saying everybody's waiting for something in their life to happen? I mean, like, in, like, in the case of the characters of the book, you know, I mean. Oh, absolutely. Will. Like, they're waiting for Will to make a decision. Like, and if he decides to die, it means that that Mr. Trainer gets to be with his mistress. You know, what does it mean for everybody else? But if he decides to live, mm-hmm. what does that mean for everybody? You know what I mean? Like, everybody's waiting on some decision to be made. I feel like the decision was already made a long time ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into that. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of talk about, like, a Mr. Trainer there for a little bit. Because he's, like, really kind of, like, an aloof character. Mm-hmm. And then we just, like, finally get, like, you know, that, like, insight into, like, how he's feeling. And he's honestly pretty aloof with Will. Yeah. He does, like... His son. They, like, watch TV together every night, though. Like, after Lou leaves. Is that just, like, a dad and, like, son kind of thing? I think that's his attempt at bonding. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, watching sports together. Right. Football and... Football and sports Rugby, and cricket, I don't know. Um, I think that's his attempt at trying to make a connection half-assedly. Yeah. Well, you know what pissed me the fuck off? Let mm. me tell you what pissed mm. me the fuck mm-hmm. off is, uh, we'll get super sick. Mm-hmm. And tr- Mr. Trainer is gone. Mm-hmm. Gone. Mm-hmm. And Louisa has to deal with Will being sick and not knowing the proper steps of how to take yep. care of him. I don't think Mr. Trainer even comes to visit Will when he's in the hospital with pneumonia. Nope. It's never mentioned in the book, at least. Uh-uh. No, but Mi- Camilla was there by his side. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I honestly, yeah, yeah, her chapter was my first cry. 
seeing like through a mother's eyes like what she's going through yeah that was my first cry okay and i'm not a mom so i i can't even begin to imagine yeah like it's almost like i feel like i have no opinion Mm -hmm. but it was just i can feel like that i'm empathetic Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah sorry Enjoying your chicken quesadilla? I am enjoying my I'm chicken quesadilla. So I'm glad. sorry I'm being rude and eating while we're recording, but dude, that's I'm okay. Hungry. Wow. Um, uh, yeah. Trina made that point that she, um, toward the end, we get this chapter from Trina when Lou decided not to go to Switzerland with Will, and she's describing how upset Lou is, and she's like almost condemning the trainers for letting this happen to Will. And then she thinks about it as if Thomas were in this position. Well, cause Trina was like, I've never felt this type of love before. Yeah. And, and then, and then I think her narrative changes a little bit. She's more helpful to Louisa. Like she even says like, you know, like when she had Thomas, like it was like, what, like a tunnel, the world had mm, like a funnel, a funnel. And then like on page 311, she goes, the world has just shrunk to me and him. Mm. So I'm glad we got a little bit of insight to Trina because she yeah. seemed like a royal bitch from Lou's perspective. Oh my God. Yeah, she was. Yeah. So I'm glad I got to see a little bit from Trina. Yeah, I agree. It's like that typical type of like, I mean, I don't have a sister mm-hmm. and I didn't grow up with a sister, but it's like that type of like love hate relationship mm-hmm. where like you're bitter enemies, mm-hmm. but then like you're the best of friends. I saw that a lot. Um, they fought so much, and they were always so mad at each other, but um, they would go out and get drinks together. No, it's, or, was the one who was told Trina everything first. Yeah, she told Trina everything first. Trina comforted her when, uh, you know, she was home after the vacation. Um, you know, so it, it really was that epitome of the stereotypical sister relationship. Oh, absolutely. There were, like, so many moments where Lou was, like, don't take my stuff. Yeah. Oh, it was it was really pretty because, um, yeah, I don't have a sister, but, like, I've, I have friends who like, have, like, those, like, really strong sister relationships that I feel like yeah. I have witnessed. Right. So it was really great how, like, JoJo put that in the book mm-hmm. because, I mean, going through researching her biography, she has half-sisters, but they're all, like, 19 years younger than her. Holy moly. So she did a really great job of capturing that type of relationship. Right, without firsthand experience. Absolutely. Nice. That's really interesting. Yeah, kind of like an interesting thing, and that's yeah. what's really great about writers, like capturing these experiences. Mm-hmm. But writers observe, and then they, they write. And then they write. And destroy your life. Mm, always. Bitches. Bitches. Okay, any other side characters you want to talk about before we get into Louisa and Will? Uh, no, I'm good. Okay. You want to start with Louisa, or you want to start with Will? Sorry for the pause. I really had to think about that. Mm-hmm. Because I know these are, we're going to start, we're about to start diving into some really deep subjects that are going to be really hard. And both of them are really hard mm-hmm. subjects. Okay, can we go with Will? Let's go with Will. All right. So, Will Trainer, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. uh, handsome to boot. Mm-hmm. He was a player, he loved sex, he, you know, was a worked for a company that bought other companies mm-hmm. like you know took them down yeah he also traveled the world and wanted to experience everything in his life and honestly he's kind of a bit of a snob a little bit a little bit a little bit a little bit of a snob and then he's goes through this adrenaline junkie an adrenaline junkie yeah for sure and then has this horrible accident that leaves him as like a quadriplegic where 
he can lift his arm a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and he can turn his head. And turn his head. And it's at this point where, like, it's not just, you know, it's not the fact that he's just paralyzed, but it's also the fact that he has, like, body spasms and he gets easily sick and he's just he's waiting pain all the time oh he's in pain all the time his limbs are constantly burning yeah they even say that at one point like for someone who can't use his limbs it's unfair that they cause him so much pain yes and louise is always having to like, try and like comfort them but what i think is really interesting about will and like while he, yes he was definitely an ass mm-hmm. to louisa when um she first got there but that's because will knew that she was like on like suicide watch mm-hmm. like he knew what she was there for but w- louisa didn't she was blindsided mm-hmm. however um what i find it really interesting about will is that like he doesn't really ever talk about how much pain he's in yeah he doesn't he's not a complainer he doesn't complain he grimaces yeah you can tell like and lou can tell after she's been there for a while and she's like established a relationship with him she can tell when he's in pain by the way he's talking by the tension in his jaw which i think is a really like intimate thing oh yeah definitely very intimate because again like he just doesn't talk about like the type of pain he's feeling but like Mm -hmm. we know that he's feeling pain nathan says it too Mm -hmm. nathan says it like he does he's not going to talk about like that kind of pain that he's in right um but i also want to talk about some of like his personality traits Mm mm-hmm as well, because, like, now that he can't move, he's, I feel, extremely proud. Um, and I also do think he's a fucking snub. He is a fucking snub. But that is part of his upbringing. I mean, he's the highbrow. No, very highbrow. You know, top of the castle kind of guy. Top of the castle. I'm glad that in the movie that he's like, oh, I love E.T. and I have a soft spot for Armageddon. I was like, okay, great. I, I needed that, Will. I do like like that one of his personality things is he's a movie person. Oh, yeah. He's a cultural person, to like, to be perfectly honest. And I really like that. Oh, yeah. Like, they went to, like, a wine tasting and Lou was making fun of them for sitting yeah. in the bucket. Right. Or, like, the music concert that they went to. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like, he likes movies and he likes music and he's open to weird music and movies, you right. know. And he's an adrenaline. He was an adrenaline junkie. It makes you think, like, we don't get that will before this book. Mm-mm. And he even says that. He's like, you've never known me. Yeah. Really known me. Yeah. You've only known me like this and this is not who I am. And that's what makes it really hard for him with Lou. Yeah. Um... And I, I kind of almost so like, we we know that Will wants to kill himself. Mm-hmm. And what was the most difficult scene almost for me to read was Camilla describing how Will tried to kill himself first. He yeah. had found a nail sticking out of a wall and had driven. He drove his wheelchair back into it over and over and over again on his wrist, and it's described as how it was like hit the flesh was like shattered or like shredded shredded to ribbons yeah and that was when camilla knew and the doctors even said it too it wasn't a cry for help oh that part got me mm-hmm. i didn't cry there but i wanted to oh i did yeah that was my cry that was tough and that was my cry and that was when camilla knew that she she agreed to yeah to help she him. knew that she couldn't ask him to stay in a life that was so yeah. Not him, you know, just so completely making him just so unhappy. Well, if that's like, you know, now we're going to go into like, you know, like a deeper kind of conversation because, um, you know, I know that we've watched like, you know, like, what is that, like 13, 
13 Reasons Why. 13 Reasons Why, where, like, you know, we, we see this movie where it's about, like, you know, someone after they've committed suicide, mm-hmm. and you see all, like, the leftovers. Yeah. And this is Will making this decision, but he doesn't know what's going to be left over. Right. After he's gone. Yeah. So is it fair for him to do this? I mean, that's not for us to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a lot of this book, so, so much of this book is about choices. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Will's biggest point is this is a choice that he can make, and this is the choice that he's going to make. You know, and honestly, like, I I do agree. I've always, I was just, like, you know, making talking points, but yeah. I, it's just my opinion, but I do agree with Will. I feel like, you know, choice, it's, it's your choice to make, especially in his type of situation that absolutely um we always want to be able to make our own choice Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. i do love how he's always trying to encourage louisa yeah to live life yeah and to live life fully and to live life well Mm -hmm. in fact um in his last letter to her he's you know like he's gone and um he's given her all this money yeah but it's money for her to go and like get out of her situation Mm -hmm. and for her to like travel the world and experience life without fear and the words in his last letter are live well just live like cries like tears did you cheer at that because i cheered at that i mean at that point i was already sobbing already it was just it was just a a deluge of just tears at that point i mean it was intense. So it was beautiful, though. I mean, that was just such an amazing. Yeah. <sighs> Can we also talk about, like, you know, how, like, Will pays attention to detail? Because I feel like every girl wants this. If you're <laughs> going to tell somebody what your favorite thing is in your childhood, and they go out and they have it made, made. and then give it to you for your birthday. Yes. Two pair. Two pair. Two of them. Yes. He was prepared. He was like, just in case one of them isn't right or breaks or rips, oh, you have backup. Can we talk about like how sexy that was? Right? Sexiest thing exactly. I've ever read. Yeah. You know, Louise is all like, my favorite thing were my bumblebee tights. Yeah. Black and yellow stripes. Because she liked having stripy legs. <laughs> like, this is just the cutest fucking thing ever. And he has them made. Made. Hand made. Yeah. For Louisa. For Louisa. And Ridiculous. Honestly, like it's like it's not until like almost like halfway through the book where I feel like I'm getting more of Will's feelings for Louisa. Yeah. And it's not even coming from Will. It's coming from the people around Will mm-hmm. who are saying like he really cares for you. Yeah. I can tell he cares for you. None of that comes from Will. Mm-hmm. But like when Louisa moves in with Patrick, Camilla gets really angry with Louisa. Yeah. Saying, like, I cannot believe you're shoving your your happiness in his face. Yeah, she says, Will's very fond of you. Mm-hmm. How can you do this to him? And I think that just kind of, like, I didn't, I don't know if, like, Louisa knew that Will was fond of her. Like I don't, that. I don't think she did. Because um, I think Will loved Louisa before Louisa loved Will. Yeah. And something I thought was really funny, he never tells her that, though. Not at all. He never tells he you, I love you. never tells her. And she pours her heart oh. out. And, oh, second cry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Cry number That's two. when the tears started. Oh, And they man. just didn't stop until the end of the book. 
man, that scene where Louise is just pouring her heart out in yeah. front of him, and he's just... And he never says it back. Never says it back. I know he feels it, though. Of course, of course, of course. As a reader, we know he feels yeah. the same way, because he says, like, at the very end, <laughs> the very end where Louisa says, like, this has been, like, the best six months of my life. And I think, what does he say? Like, this has been, like, the best time of my life? Or he, he says uh, he says fi- something like, coincidentally, mine too, or something like that. Okay. But it's not just the six months. He says, like, this has been, like, also, like, the best time of my life. Okay, I didn't, I didn't catch that. It was something kind of, like, just super, super sweet like that. Yeah, I have a, a super sweet. Oh, okay. I so have two, says, actually. It has been the best six months of my life. There's a long silence, like, funnily enough, Clark, mine too. The best six months of my entire life. And this is coming from Louisa, who's never experienced anything, anything. in her entire life. Yeah. And then Will's had, like, so, so many different types so of experiences. So many experiences. And he's saying, yeah, this is also the best six months of my life as well. It's depressing. I have two quotes, two super sweet Will quotes. Um, one of them is, you, Clark, are the only person I have felt able to talk to since I ended up in this bloody thing. And then, sometimes, Clark, you are pretty much the only thing that makes me want to get up in the morning. Oh, my God. That's when they're dancing. But, like, not, like, dancing, but, like, they're dancing. Dancing. At the wedding. Yeah. Uh. Weddings, man. Weddings, man. They bring it out in you. They really do. Um, I just, I think it's so sweet. Uh, Nathan at one point says, um, I know that he'll do anything to make you happy. So we're seeing all of this evidence that, that he has feelings for her, but he just, like, until the very end, doesn't come out right and say it. I know. You know, and that's just, it's hard. It's hard to read that like that, you know, because we know that Louisa has feelings for him and, and she's trying to make sense of those feelings for him. And it's hard for her to make sense of those feelings for him because she developed those feelings while she was still with Patrick. Mm-hmm. And also she's his caretaker. Mm-hmm. And she knows that she can't be his caretaker and romantically involved with him. So it's complicated. This whole book <laughs> is so complicated. Yeah. But Will was just honestly like, such a great character and that's why I can't read any of the other books after right after this because Mm-mm. I don't want to read a book without Will Trainer. I don't want to read a book without Will Trainer. Why, Jojo? Why? Like they just had they had great chemistry. They had the greatest bonds. I mean I loved when they went and got tattoos together. That was the cutest fucking thing. They went and got tattoos together. Yeah. That was a cutest thing ever. It was such a great bonding moment yeah. for them. But Will didn't want to live this life. And even like after Louisa's poured her heart out, he's trying to explain that like you have no idea the things I want to do to you. Yeah. I can't hold you. Right. I can't be the man for you. <laughs> and I think like it's that type of like pride and he wants to be who he used to be he, he knows he never can yeah and, and knowing that he he had the ability to do those things at one time mm-hmm. and he loves this probably the the only person he's ever really loved you know because i mean romantically he's he, he was, was his ex-girlfriend they were on together for nine months oh that's yeah that's not very long yeah at all. it was long for him and he said that he's like right. it was long for me yeah, you know, so I mean, it probably he's she's probably the first person he's ever truly loved, mm-hmm. and to know that you love that person so deeply and you can't fully be yourself with them, it's just got to be excruciating. 
emotionally. This book was emotionally excruciating? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm done with this season. Like, uh, I'm kind of like... I am wrecked. I'm wrecked. After this season. (laughs) Why didn't we pick, like, rom-coms? Right? I mean, we read Crazy Rich Asians last season. We should have done that in this season. Oh, my God. We just had emotionally wrecking books. Like, just this entire thing. They're done with this season, though. We have one book left. God. Anyways. I can't handle it anymore. No. Well, did you want to talk about Will anymore? I just have one more point, and I want to use it to segue into Louisa. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. So I um, I thought it was interesting the way that they deal with trauma, the different mm-hmm. ways that they deal with their trauma. So Will, uh, like, retreats into himself and pretends to not be himself, where he lashes out in anger at other people. Um, just one of the quotes. Sometimes I wondered if it was a defense mechanism. The only way to cope with his life was to pretend it was not him. It was happening to. And I just thought that was really interesting in comparison to Louisa, who just keeps herself in safe places. The town that she grew up in, the relationship that she's been in, a familiar job. She doesn't draw attention. She draws attention to herself with crazy clothes, not a lack of clothes. And she counts her steps. She makes lists. Like, I just, I thought that was so interesting to see the two different ways that they deal with their traumas. I didn't think about that counting lists and counting steps as a way to deal with trauma. That's, I didn't see that. Like, everybody makes fun of me because I make lists all the time. Yeah, you do. It's it's not a way to deal with trauma. It's just a way to deal with anxiety for me. Okay. Like, that's how I deal when I'm stressed and I know I have. So, like, my... <laughs> I went on a cruise last year with my family, my whole family. There are seven of us. And we had lots of children, minors. Uh, We have a special needs person in our group. You know, so, like, we needed lots of paperwork and we needed documentation. And these people, you know, my brothers and sisters can't necessarily take care of that documentation on their own um, because they had, like, passports and IDs and things like that. You know, you don't want them to lose those kinds of things. And, um so, like, I had a folder with lists of, you know, checkmarked, you know, I had my dad's ID, my mom's ID, every single one of my brothers and sisters' IDs, my ID. You know, I had a packing list for each of the kids. I had a packing list for myself. You know, like, that's how I deal with anxiety. Jesus Christ. You want to know how I pack? I know how you pack. <laughs> Just dump it all in there 30 minutes before you leave. Yes. <laughs> I had like a clothes packing list, a toiletries packing list, a beach packing I list. I remember these conversations. You've actually like you practiced your packing, I think like a week yes, before, didn't I you? did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To make sure I could fit everything in the suitcase I wanted to take, what was going to fit, what wasn't going to fit, what did I need to alternate, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is how I deal with anxiety. I love that. And like, I, 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 something I didn't realize though, because like Louise's like first thought process is saying like it's 180 steps from the bus Left to the house. To the house. And I just didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this is yep. why we do this. This, this is, is why we, we do this. This is yeah. why we review books together. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. They're not like opposites of each other. They're no. just two different ways that people deal with trauma. And I thought that was a very interesting portrayal for mm. both of them. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Louisa? Louisa. We've already talked about her a lot. We have quite a bit. Yeah. So we're kind of like, I, which I, I like that we did that. Like yeah. Now we're kind of ending on her because we're like, we've, you know, we've hit on like her, her family, on like what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of hit on like, you know, her clothes and like we know how she dresses now, mm-hmm. but we haven't really talked about like the fears that she has. 
the reason why she has those fears. Um, and then we just kind of really haven't talked about some of her personality traits either. Yeah. So that's kind of what I would like to go into. Okay. For Louisa, what would you like to start with? Um, I'll let you start. If you want to start with something specific. Um, I mean, obviously, like, so Louisa, she's considered an individual or a character by some people yeah. because of the way that she dresses, but I know, like, as readers, we know she dresses for herself and she doesn't dress for men. Um, she specifically says that to Will, even yep. though Will's like, whatever, women will, all they think about is men, that's, like, everything is, like, for sex. Yeah. And Louisa doesn't think that way. But, in a way, she is dressing for men. You think She's so? dressing against men. Ah, uh, what? Oh. She's not wanting, she even says at one point that she dresses to not draw sexual attention from men. But she always, she still gets sexual attention. Well, I mean, because she's a woman. Yeah, she got great boobs. She got she got boobs, she got a booty. Like, As they're described in the book. Yeah, but I mean, she always covers up. You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't wear anything revealing. She's not, you know, she doesn't go out and get drunk anymore. Um, you know, so she's doing things that are not going to put her in a compromising position. Right. Um, but yeah, so I mean, she is dressing... I guess, opposed to men. Opposed to men. Not for men, but it's opposed to men. Well, we know that. So she worked at this cafe for like six years, The Buttered Bun. The Buttered Bun. I love that alliteration. I do. It's great. Oh, it's so cute. Yes. Um, we know that she's been in this like town for six years and she's never done anything. So as a reader, we're reading her character. She has so much quote-unquote, potential. Mm-hmm. And that's all we see. We see that she has great potential. She obviously has, like, you know, a wonderful personality. Mm-hmm. People like her. She's fun and she's chatty. And then as a reader, you're like, well, why haven't you done anything? Right. Why didn't you go to school? Like, why didn't you get out of this town? Mm-hmm. And it's not till maybe, like, a quarter, like, three-fourths of the way into the book, we finally realize, you know, why Louisa hasn't done anything and this is not something that's touched on in the movie i know whatsoever that was the worst part of the movie is that they didn't include this they didn't give her a reason for staying in the town no they just like it just seems like she's just like a slacker Mm -hmm. you know but you know in the book she's got this it's just kind of like a really difficult conversation um so, you know, she when she was, what was, like, I think, like, 19? 19 or 20. 19 or 20. She was hanging out with, like, a group of girlfriends who had met up with, like, a group of guys. They went into the maze of the castle, drunk. They smoke a blunt and, you know, were flirting and hanging out. And then it got to the point where she was a little out of it. And she realized that all the other girls were gone. Mm-hmm. But the group of guys were still there. That's the end of that, and then we don't get the rest of the story. Until she tells Will. Until she tells Will, the only person she's ever told, besides Trina, who yeah. Trina was, picked her up, um, that she was sexually assaulted by a group of guys. A group of guys. And she thought it was her fault. <sighs> and she blamed it on herself. Yeah. Because of, like, she was... I guess, I don't know, playing fast and loose, flirting with them. Yeah. She got too drunk. Will says at one point, he says, they were responsible and it wasn't your fault. And there are things that shouldn't need to be said because they're because it's not her fault. It's not her responsibility. The guys who did this to her are the ones to blame. But it makes her feel better that he said it out loud. No one has said that out loud to her. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, granted, only, you know, Trina knows. But she says she saw in Trina's face, like, you the know. Judgment. If, the judgment. if you hadn't acted that way, if you hadn't dressed that way, 
you wouldn't have brought this on yourself kind of thing. And Will was like, no, you're not at all to blame for this situation. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a, a really great character point of his. It was a wonderful character point, and that just uh, just made Will such a wonderful man. Mm-hmm. Just listening to her. Yeah. And then they just, like, stood in silence for a while. And he just let her cry. And just let her cry. Mm-hmm. Let her, like, pour all this out. And then, like, as a reader, I'm just like, oh, my God, Lou, I can't believe you've been holding this in. And then, like, as a reader, you're like, this isn't released until, like, later. But, you know, imagine, like... Not, nobody in her family knows. Mm-mm. Patrick doesn't know. He, I think She's been he, holding all of this in. I think Patrick knows something happened. Yeah. Because he says at one point, you know, oh, I can't believe you're being physically close with him when it took us so long to get there. Oh, yeah. Patrick did say it took yeah. us so long to get there. And Well, Louisa met Patrick right after the incident. Right afterwards, yeah. So, of course, it's going to take them like, some time to get yeah. there. This was just really, this, that was a really hard scene to read. It, it really, really was. Because it was men, boys, chasing her through a through hedge maze. maze. Yeah. That's fucking terrifying. And she, was, she went into the maze thinking she could confront this fear. And she's having flashbacks of those boys chasing her through the maze. And at one point, she just is completely overwhelmed by these memories and this trauma and this anxiety. And she calls out to Will. And she calls out to Will and he comes and gets her. Um, I have a quote from Louisa. Um... During that time, and it, I could feel this quote so much. Um, and she says, it, um, I couldn't get out. I would be stuck here forever. Nobody would find me. And it just, I could feel that desperation and just that complete isolation. I love that. I mean, but that quote can go even deeper where she's still stuck. She is. She really, really is. Until She's she tells stuck. Will about it. And did I She's write been it down? For like seven years. She said she cried and felt the fear and guilt leaving her. Yeah. And because Will found her. Because Will found her, and she In was more able ways than one. to tell him. So mm-hmm. something that I deal with when I'm anxious and when I'm having a particular anxiety that's like keeping me up at night. If I talk about it, I feel better. I think a lot of us do. I didn't realize that I was that person until a couple months ago. Isn't that wild? Wild. You know? That's so wild. Mm-hmm. I know that we've had those, like, anxiety conversations. Yes. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And I, like, I talked to Wesley about one thing that was bothering me in particular. Like, I literally could not sleep at night. And I talked to him about it once, and it's not kept me up since then. How, wi- that, how wild is that? You know, so it's like I felt it. I understood what she was coming from because I've had that. I've felt that experience. Not to that level that she did, but you right. know what I mean? Like I could understand where she was coming from. It's so tough. It's a, it's a tough That it's was a tough very one, tough. Yeah. And that's, it makes me sad that they didn't add that in the movie. I guess in the movie they're like, okay, there's only so much tragedy <laughs> and backstory and we can horribleness add. that we can add in here. But it was definitely there in the book. So yeah. if you haven't read the book, please read the book because you get, you really feel Louise's fear and the reason why she hasn't left like her small town or like hasn't had like, you know, any ambitions is because she is wanting to feel safe yeah. and stay safe. Yeah do this experience that she had like, when she wasn't thinking about safety. Mm-hmm. She even says that. She said she could she could tell you the exact day she stopped being fearless. Oh, and that was the beginning of the chapter. Have you noticed, like, JoJo, because I know her, <laughs> yeah, we're each one of her chapters has this really great line. 
it doesn't just randomly start. Like, each chapter has a really great point. Yeah. And I, I love the way she starts her chapters. Yeah. It's a very strong start. Oh, a strong start. Almost like a beginning of the book start. And they're long chapters. So they're I feel like I feel like she has to make that big punch at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of pull the narrative through to the end of the long chapter. Yeah. Well, she writes. She's got great narrative. She does. She really, really does. Writing. Well, that's really what I talked about with Louisa. We talked a lot about her, like, you know, throughout our characters, but I really wanted to get to this, like, deep point of, like, when she experiences sexual assault and, like, why she feels this fear that Will doesn't understand. It makes fun of her so long for not leaving this town and for not doing anything with this with her life until like she finally tells him. Yeah, what's happened and then he understands and then he he still pushes her but not as hard I feel like. Yeah, not as hard. He doesn't make fun of her. He doesn't make fun of her. He's he was still making fun of her. Encourages her to go do these things, mm-hmm. but he's not making fun of her for not having yeah. done them before. Can't believe you've never seen a film with subtitles. Right. All being a snob. <laughs> Yeah. Such a snob. Such a snob. Okay, before we move on to questions, um, can we talk about additional points really quickly? Yeah. Do you have anyone that you want to start with? No. Okay. I have two. <laughs> okay. Um, I just absolutely fucking love this chapter. It's toward the beginning of the book. This is page 98, and this is when she's shaving him. Oh, such a sexy scene. <sighs> And I just, I just really wanted to read this because this is before either of them realized they have feelings for each other. Right. Um, it was a curiously intimate thing, this shaving of Will. I realized as I continued that I had assumed his wheelchair would be a barrier, that his disability would prevent any kind of sensual aspect from creeping in. Weirdly, it wasn't working like that. It was impossible to be this close to someone, to feel their skin totten under your fingertips, to breathe in the air that they breathed out, to have their face only inches from yours, without feeling a little unbalanced. By the time I reached his other ear, I had begun to feel awkward, as if I had overstepped an invisible mark. And I just thought that was so striking, a paragraph about intimacy and closeness with almost a stranger. They've known each other about a month by now, right? Ish. But, I mean, he's been so standoffish, you know, like, yeah. they really haven't gotten to know yeah, each other. Yeah, this is so pretty recent. Yeah, this is, this is really the first big step in them compromising with each other to get to know one another. Mm-hmm. She's, like, giving him crap because he looks like a, you know, hobo with his beard and his beard shaggy his hair. hair. <laughs> and I just thought it was just a beautiful description. It was a beautifully, it is beautifully written. Mm, it really too. is. Yeah. And just that being that, like, that close to somebody. Mm-hmm. And not in an intimate setting. I mean, you're shaving someone's face. That's not intimate, usually. I don't know. You disagree? <laughs> I disagree. Because okay. a boy wanted to shave my legs for me, <laughs> I feel like that could be intimate. Okay. But I mean, like, that would be, like, in a bathtub, and you'd be sharing a bubble bath together. Like, true. they're in his antiseptic-smelling bathroom, shaving his face. I think anything that deals with hair... Whether it comes with cutting hair, shaving hair, um, I feel like it's intimate. And I feel like authors know that it is, and they add that to their books. Okay, I didn't see it that way, but I guess, yeah. Maybe I just find it super sexy. Maybe maybe that's your thing. One of my... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody's got things. Everybody's that's okay. got a thing. My favorite scene in, like, the movie from Out of Africa is when Robert Redford is, like, 
washing her hair washing Meryl Streep's hair and I'm just like and he's quoting the rhyme of the ancient mariner and I'm like damn boy okay are you gonna do poetry and shampoo and shampoo lather rinse repeat (laughs) please (laughs) okay um I just have one other point and I feel like this is a big 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 giant point of the whole book you ready for this I don't know I'm scared it's a quote okay I don't even remember who says this quote. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you can only actually help someone who wants to be helped. Alicia says that quote. There you go, then. Wow. I think that's the whole theme of the book, really. Um, because they never were going to change his mind if his mind didn't want to be changed. If he didn't want the help. And that was every, like, every instance I f- saw of them, like, fighting of him resisting, you know, somebody trying and him fighting back, like, was just, he just doesn't want the help. He's made up his mind. He made that decision long, long, long ago. And the six month was just a a waiting period. Okay, well, to take that back, do you think Louisa wanted the help? Because Will really helped her. I don't think she realized she needed it. Mm -hmm. I think once she realized that she needed it, she was accepting of it. But she was always see i don't know because like they were always will was always trying to get louisa to do things because he thought it would be good for her she was always trying to get will to do things because she thought it would be good for him and they're both playing the card of oh it'll be good for me too exactly to do these things Mm -hmm. you know so like sticky sticky i do like that line though yeah I think that's good for mm-hmm. not just like in this book, but in, in just general. In general, you can't help somebody unless they want to be helped. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Booze break? Sure. All right. All right. It's like a booze break. We'll be Let's back. Take a booze break. And we're back. So now we're going into like the second portion of our podcast. I have refreshed my drink. Krista added ice to hers. <laughs> Fun stuff. Um, So we're going to just like dive into our questions that we have for each other. And I'm going to go first. Okay. So my first question, and actually this kind of like, you know, bounces off of like what we were just talking about. Louisa had a traumatic experience that so many young women can relate to. With people saying, maybe you shouldn't have worn that skirt or maybe you shouldn't have flirted so much. How do you feel about Trina's, another young woman, response to Louisa after she finds her. I think Trina doesn't outright say anything. It's the way that Louisa perceives what she's thinking. So are you meaning like her judgment? Her judgment and then I also feel like she didn't provide any advice to Louisa about reporting it. Yeah. I mean, of course it it's it's infuriating that she would be even a tiny bit judgmental. Um I, I fucking hate when I hear people say those things. Like, and I don't, I feel like I'm not someone who gets, like, angry, like, truly angry about a lot of things. Like, I'm a, you know, pessimistic person in general. But, like, that is something that makes me totally, completely angry. Like, seeing red mad when someone tries to put that blame on a woman. Right. On a victim. I, I shouldn't, we shouldn't be specific to women. Because it happens to You're men, true. too. It happens to men, too. So, just, like, on a victim. On a victim. Yeah. Um, I think, too, though... Trina probably did not know how to support her in that situation. Um, so I want to be a little bit forgiving to Trina for not giving the support that she should have. Because that's also not her responsibility. 
that's true. I have to remember how young they are. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that was, like, you know, Louisa was, what, 1920s? That makes, like, Trina, like, 17, 18. Right, exactly. Um, at that point. And then times are different now. Because, like, this book was in, like, what, 2009? Yeah, set in 2009. And then I feel now women have more of a voice. But it's something, goddamn, like, not women, like, you know, victims have more of a voice. But, goddamn, it's something they clawed for. Oh, yeah, I mean, and still every day fighting for, you know? Definitely. Yeah, I mean. people feel like they're not going to be believed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's so many microaggressions in our society against victims, um, things like that where they say, you know, I mean, like a rape kit is just, it's just as invasive as being raped, you know, like. Yeah, and so many, you know, like um, police stations, they're so, so, so far behind mm-hmm. on testing them. It's like they're never going to get finalized and they're ill-equipped to do so you know one of the things i know i talk about this podcast a lot my favorite murder Mm -hmm. um they'll do uh like charity campaigns and stuff like that and um there's one there's one that's called end the backlog uh, of you know uh test rape kits have not been tested and at one point they had raised enough money that they like had ended the backlog in a particular state Oh my god. Or some gosh. something large like that. I can't remember specifically what it was, but you know, oh, so nice. like I'd like to do that. Oh, that just feels that just made me you know, it just feels so great, but then at the same time, you know, how many other states still have that? States, counties, counties, cities. Yeah. Happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. All over the world. All over too, the world. Who aren't even keeping track of that. Yeah. And we we only have experience here in you know, America, but in other countries, I mean, there are so, some other countries who completely overlook sexual assault. Mm-hmm. It's just a part of their culture. Mm-hmm. But the victims don't overlook it and they live with that. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Crazy. <sighs> Man. Tough, right? Tough, tough. All right, what's your question? I hope it's jovial. It's not. Nope. Nope, neither one of them are. <laughs> Great. Um, Louisa initially doesn't go to Switzerland to be with Will at the end. And she questions if she's made the right choice. What choice do you think you would have made? Would I have made? I would have gone with Will. Okay. Because that actually goes into my second question a little bit. Okay. But um, I know that ultimately it's not it's not my choice, and it's I know that it's not my life. Yeah. Um, and I know that it's Will's choice and it's Will's life. But then again, like, how am I supposed to judge? I'm not in love with Will. Right. I'm not going to feel completely wrapped and destroyed that he's making this choice when I just poured my heart out in front of him, telling him I can make you happy, and Will basically telling me that it's not enough. And that's what Will told Louisa, that it wasn't enough. That was my big cry. That was my, I had to put the book down and cry for several minutes. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> he goes, I'm sorry, it's not enough. Oh my god. Can you imagine being told that by someone you love? <sighs> okay, I'm not I'm not gonna cry. But again, like Louisa does, like she gets that chance. Yeah. And like she thought Will was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but she gets that chance when she gets that phone call from Camilla asking yeah. him to come. And she gets that chance to have that moment to say goodbye. Because imagine if she didn't have that chance. I mean, she would live with that regret for the rest of her for life. For the rest of her life. Yeah. 
I, I think I would have gone, but for different reasons. Yeah, what would your reasons have been? To be supportive and to spend as much time as I could with that person. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's time. Mm-hmm. It's definitely time. Okay, so do you want to segue that into your question? Mm-hmm. Okay, so at the very end of the novel, Louisa and Will, they're, like, holding each other in bed at Dignitas. She thinks, how is it you have the right to destroy my life? I wanted to demand of him, but I'm not allowed a say in yours. So with that quote, she'll have to go on with this love in her heart and this despair. Do you think that it was fair for Will to allow Louisa to think he was happy and in love? Because just so like some of his actions seemed like he was happy and he didn't tell her that this was that this was going to be his decision. This is so hard because this is a situation that we don't have anything close to firsthand firsthand experience of. Yeah. Is it fair that he made her believe he was happy? I don't know. I mean, because I think him saying, like, at the wedding, Clark, you're pretty much the only reason why I get up in the morning. It's misleading. Exactly. And in his mind, like, he doesn't know that Louisa knows. I didn't think about it that way. That is unfair, I think, because he doesn't know that she knows. Nope. So he's essentially leading her to believe that, you know, that they can have something. Yeah. And the whole time he knows that, you know, August 13th is going to come around and he doesn't. He's not going to be there. even tell her. That's tough. Yeah. Do you think he's being fair? No. No, I don't fucking think he's being fair. (laughs) I just have to ask a question. I know. Well, because I'm trying to see it, like, I had to put it in that perspective where Will doesn't know that Louisa knows, but he's going on these additional adventures with her. He's saying those things, like, you know, Clark, you're pretty much the only reason why I want to get up in the morning. They go get tattoos together. You know, but I think some of that, you know, like we were talking about before, is for her benefit. But you know what I mean? Saying, like, like I think you're the only you're the only reason I get up in the morning. That's that's a gray area one. Well, it's a gray area. <laughs> but like going on these adventures and seeming like he's having a good time and happy. It's for her benefit. It's for her benefit, I think. But yeah, those those few times where he's like swoon worthy. Yeah, that those are not fair moments in any way. No. Yeah. But because we know as readers that Louisa knows. And she's yeah. like almost like preparing herself. Yeah, I wrote a quote down somewhere. I have to remember where I wrote it down at. This is one of those quotes that just like struck me very hard. Not in any kind of context. Um, I thought I typed it. Anyways, I think the quote is something like, oh, there it is. All I could see was Will and a ticking clock. That was one of the ones that just, like, gut-punched me. Well, I thought it was really interesting how... Right, so she just sees Will in the ticking clock. When Louisa is telling Trina that she has feelings for Will and she loves Will, Trina says, you love him because you're in a traumatic experience right now. Do you really love him? Right. Or, or... is this just the situation you're thrown into? Mm-hmm. 
I thought that was an interesting point. I know. I'm surprised we haven't talked about it yet. Do Well, do you want to talk about it? I mean, no. Like, I do think, like, they, based on, like, you know, their character disposition, how they are with each other, that this was something that could have dealt, they could have had a relationship. Yeah. If he had chosen to, to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I don't think it's just because of the situation. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, next question, question, about Krista. It. <laughs> um, okay. Will tells Lou that she lives a small life, and we know why she lives a small life. Um, Will lived a very large life. What size life do you think you live? What size life do I think I live? I think I live a small life. A small life? Uh, wait. Can I be like a small medium? You can know, like, I like a four or five in like jean size? Can I tell you my answer and this might help you answer? Okay. I think I live a medium life. Okay. Because my day-to-day things are small, but occasionally I go, go to different countries. Okay. Yeah. Or we experience cultural things. Yeah. Or I do something that puts me outside of my comfort zone every now and again. Yeah. Okay. So I think I live a medium life. Well, I mean, think about it. So like my viewpoint is I don't think I live the small life that Louisa lives, but I think I live like a medium. Medium. <laughs> I accept that. It's medium. A medium because like, yeah, we have traveled and we have gone to different countries, but really nothing like that crazy exotic. Um, I've done. You've been to Paris. That's true. Like, that's pretty. I mean, I've only been within my continent. Yeah. You have been to a different continent. Yeah. But that was like that was like a trip I had when I was like eighteen. I want to make the decisions to take these trips, right? And to like live the life and like have these experiences, mm-hmm. um, like with my friends, but like without, like maybe like without like the, like any adults mm-hmm. and stuff. And then some of the reasons why I say that it's medium is because I do put myself out of my comfort zone when I try things that I don't think I would normally try. Cocaine, three cents, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, those things, just to name a few. <laughs> Just to name a few. <laughs> um, but I would like to live, like, a more grand life. But, you know, money, honey. Oh, absolutely. Money is part of it. And even Will says out, like, Will says, like, he's like, I knew the kind of life I lived, and I knew what would have to support that. And he's like, so I worked for that. So I did that, yeah. 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 So I thought that was interesting because that's I, that's what we're all working towards. We're working towards living a large life. I think some people are, but some people aren't. Yeah. I think... Some people, and not necessarily for any traumatic reasons like what Lou has, some people just don't have the capacity to experience to imagine themselves in a larger life. Some people... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. They can't, they can't envision themselves there. Yeah, it's like, like I get freaked out when I start thinking about the universe. You know what I mean? Like, we are... Oh, girl, you need some pot. I mean... <laughs> If that's the case. You know what I mean? But, like, so, like, I can think of some people. So, like, when I when I think of myself, I know that I am a very small person in a world of a lot of people. And yeah. that the choices that I make and the things that I do have very little consequence in the very large grand scheme of things. So, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But then I start thinking about, like, the universe and the galaxies out there that we don't know about. And, like... That starts to petrify me. Your anxiety is so fascinating. Isn't that interesting? Like, so, but there are some people who can't see beyond their town. 
mm-hmm. who can't see beyond their state. I think that's small. Uh, they're small-minded. Okay, so maybe that's what I'm trying to say is that these people live a small life because they're small-minded people. Yeah. And they don't even maybe even realize they're living a small life. Who knows? Yeah, like bugs. Like bugs. <laughs> <laughs> like pets. Like pets. Oh, don't do that to me. I nope. We're not going there. We're not going to start to cry. We're not going to go into that whole like dog cat thing nope. where they're like, "You're my whole world." Nope. My okay. Moving on. Let's moving do sparklets. Sparklets. Let's do yeah. sparklets. Sparklets. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can I segue into a sparklet from my last point? Because I feel like one of my sparklets kind of ties into that. Go for it. Um, this sparklet is um from Lou, of course. They're both from Lou. Uh, she she says, I felt like I was living a life I hadn't had a chance to anticipate. Okay, now out of context, how do you feel about that? So I well, so in in context, I mean, this is you know she's starting to experience things that she never could imagine, kind of the way you know these small minded people who live small lives can't imagine, you know, doing things outside of their comfort zone. And I just thought that was really interesting. Because, too, you know, in an anxiety point of view, like I said, I am a lists person. Um, you know, that's just how I deal with things. I make a list. Like, if I'm stressed, I make a list. Or lately I've been journaling, which really, really helps as oh, well. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, it's you really like helpful. It? Yeah. Good. I feel like I'm terrible at it, but, you know. It's your journal. It doesn't matter. Nobody's right. ever going to read journal. it. It's our podcast. It's our podcast. We do what the fuck we want to do. <laughs> you know, so it's like I just feel like I'm one of those people I need a chance to anticipate what's going to happen so that I can mentally prepare for it. And, and I don't thrown into it. always get the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you dismantle expectations that you had previously and reevaluate and make expectations for the new situation? I want to say roll with the punches, baby, but I don't think that's the appropriate response. So in some aspects, sure, that's the appropriate response. But other aspects, let's say like you had like expectations of of your career, of your family life, and you're going to have to reevaluate what kind of expectations you have, or if you should even have expectations at all because they're... Those are variables from other people. They're not variables that you can control. Right. So what I'm specifically thinking about is the miscarriage. Exactly. You know, I had a pregnancy test that was positive. I heard a heartbeat. I went in for a follow-up appointment and that heartbeat wasn't there anymore. You know, so I had these expectations of being a mother, of being a parent, of having a child. And then those expectations were gone. And you had to reevaluate. And I had to reevaluate. And now we're dealing with trying to get pregnant. And that's been really difficult. We've been trying for over a year now. You know, so it's like now I have to deal with the expectations of trying to get pregnant, of dealing with hormone imbalances and medicine and things like that. You know, so it's like, it just really hit me. That quote really hit me. I love that. I love how, like, we have these different quotes in these books, and it just, like, really brings, like, to, like, a point in our life. Yeah. And sometimes they don't don't always have to, you know? Sometimes it's just a beautiful line. Sometimes it's just a beautiful line, or sometimes it's, like, something that relates to what you're dealing with right Mm. now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm ready for yours. All right. This is a long one, but I feel like I had to add it all together. Okay. I'm going to close my eyes for it. (laughs) Okay. The thing about being catapulted into a whole new life, or at least shoved up so hard against someone else's life that you might as well have your face pressed against their window, 
is that it forces you to rethink your idea of who you are or how you might be seen to other people. Mm-hmm. And tell me about it. I loved this quote out of context. Well, this is within context about like, you know, Lou getting like her new job and like she was describing how her parents see her and now how her family sees her mm-hmm. um, and then how she sees herself. And she sees herself as like an ordinary girl living an ordinary life. And she's quoted as saying like she was just fine with that. This is, of course, at the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I think what makes it hard is that, you know, the thing about being catapulted into a whole new life and then going into it forces you to rethink your idea of who you are or how you might seem to other people. And that can go into like any different type of situation, getting a new job, moving into a new town, dealing with something that becoming a mother mm-hmm. and because that catapults you into like you know how people will see you now as a mom and how your kid will then see you as well as right. a mom and I just that quote just really resonated with me about that because so much of our society and so much of how we are as people is about perception mm-hmm. nice. I liked that that's yeah I remember reading that now it's like <laughs> I just loved the way it was written and yeah. it just really kind of like got to me about perception like I think about that like how do how do my parents see me I, I I truly don't know yeah how my parents see me how does like how do my grandparents see me how do I see myself as a person right is it different or how different that. is it I think about that too sometimes it's like you know how how do people perceive me versus what I actually am trying to put out there you mm-hmm. know what I mean like I think that's what gives a lot of people anxiety because yeah. we all care about what we think of, of each other yeah Ultimately. You know what's funny? That's one of, that doesn't give me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! No, I want to be light. That's <laughs> right. I'm like a golden retriever. You are very I'm much like, like a golden. Which is like a puppy. I do feel like a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, please love me. I mean, like, not enough. Like, if someone doesn't like me, like, I'm like, wait, no, just kidding. <laughs> I think to myself, why don't you like me? Yeah. <laughs> Like, but wait, why? I Can I get a written report? I wanna, yeah, like, I'm like, I want to have a conversation. I want to corner them. Yeah. Like, at a party and be like, so I heard. I heard you don't like that me. That you don't like me. Can you tell me why? Yeah, three reasons why with supporting evidence. Um... <laughs> with supporting evidence, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just funny. It's just a gut feeling? Okay. Okay. Itch. All right. That's funny. <laughs> That's very funny. All right, you want to go into your next <gasps> I do, yes. This one, I think, speaks for itself. I don't feel like I have to talk about this one too okay, much. Okay, so just, just a beautiful quote. A beautiful quote. I felt the music like a physical thing. It didn't just sit in my ears. It flowed through me, around me, made my senses vibrate. I remember that scene. I also loved that quote, too. How fucking amazing is that? Oh, I just... So that reminds me, when I was in Paris, actually... Yeah. Um, we went to the Notre Dame. Mm. We went to a concert Ugh. in the Notre Dame. I can't remember what it was. It was, I don't think it was like Mozart's Requiem, but it was like something really great. Yeah. Um, and we were sitting there in the Notre Dame and I could just feel the voices, like the tenor, the alto, alto the contralto was uh, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then just feeling it vibrate in like my very soul. And I was so happy for Louisa. To experience that. Yeah. 
He's See, like, yeah, music. And like, I've never really been to like a classical music per- performance. Oh, girl, what? Um, no, wait, maybe I have. Really? We need to make that happen. Let's do that. I can't remember. I think Don't worry, maybe we'll make I it have. happen. Okay. Um, but that's how I feel when we go to like concerts, like regular concerts. Yeah. Like I'm specifically thinking right now of the AJA con- AJR concert AJA. that was AJA AJR concert that was last year. Like that concert made me feel so many things. Mm, mm-hmm. Like I laughed, I cried. It was that great. Was a good show. It was just, I mean, so interactive. It was just amazing, and and that's how it feels when you're it, when you're experiencing live music. I feel like it just like washes over you oh live music really good live music with good sound quality yeah it washes over you yeah it's hard as a shiver yeah the demons out of your body yeah i love it okay okay that was it that was my last one my last quote is um very short and like i'm taking it completely out of context but when i read it i was like (laughs) oh my god okay so the quote is some people do better thrown in at the deep end. And I loved this yeah. so much. So in the book, Louise is struggling in the shallow water to like learn how to like, what is she doing? Scuba, Scuba diving. Dive. And then the instructor's like, some people do better out there thrown yeah. into the deep end. And I think that's stronger too when instead of just taking baby steps, you're just thrown into it and you discover so many things that you never knew before. Mm-hmm. Or, and you deal with that. You deal with being thrown into, like, the deep end. You maybe don't, you know, necessarily, like, kind of, like, struggle for breath. But you kind of, like, view your surroundings. I don't know. I'm trying to be, like, deep here. But I just really felt this quote. But really, you just felt it in your soul. I felt it in my soul. I'm a big swimmer, too. Yeah, you do love to swim. (laughs) So, I love to swim. I love the water. Like, I love the ocean. And that just got me so much. I I can understand this quote in context. Um, I have never scuba dived, but I've snorkeled before. Yeah. And I, you know, you always snorkel, like, in a pool as a kid. And I always fucking hyperventilate in the pool because my brain is like, nope, 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 you're underwater, can't breathe, don't do it. But then when you go out and you're scuba diving in the ocean or in a sea or in a river and you get to see all the stuff that you can't see above the water, your brain is focused on those things and not on breathing. Yeah. It just is part of, you know, your automatic reflexes is to breathe. So I got, I absolutely felt that quote in context. I could feel her hyperventilating. <laughs> yeah, but I do understand where you're coming from as well. Yeah, yeah. I've Sometimes you have to just... Be thrown in at the deep end. Yeah, get hired for a job that you're underqualified for and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So yep. those are my sparklets. Nice. Nice. Very good, very good. All right, so uh, did you like it? Well, naturally. <laughs> Naturally, we've read the book before. We've read the book before. However, don't know that I would read it a third time. Uh, Yeah. The turmoil. The turmoil. So I feel like I didn't really cry in this book until toward the end. Until pretty much when he told her it wasn't enough. And from then on, I just cried through the last however much 50 pages of the book or whatever. I mean, just... You know, her guilt for not being there, like, 
it just, I mean, there were several times where I just had to close the book and cry. Like, it was, it JoJo. was tough. Fucking JoJo. That's why I wanted to put that quote in her biography yeah. about her crying. I appreciated that. As a writer, because I'm like, yeah. great, you did this to me. Good, you did it. You, you experienced it. it too. Ugh. I also don't, not sure if I would read it again. I will probably definitely watch the movie again. Yeah. Like, you know, during, like, you know, my cry days. I've seen the movie several times. Several times. I mean, Sam Man, oh, man. He needs to be in more things where he doesn't die. Yeah, actually, I agree with that. He should be in more things where he doesn't mm-hmm. die. If he could stop dying, that would be great. That would be great. For all of us. More rom-com, Sam. Please. Mm-hmm. From your fans. Yes. Are you wasted? I am not alcohol wasted, but I was definitely book wasted after this book. I had more than you did. You did. <laughs> um, I feel fine, though. Um, I'm definitely book wasted. And it's... That book wasted feeling where you have to put it down and you're like, what do I do from here? Yeah. What What am I supposed to read now? Mm-hmm. What? How? I, I can't. Like my feelings are still in a twist. I'm not gonna read after you because I don't want to read a book where Will Trainer's not in it. Nope. I am absolutely book wasted by me before you. I, I absolutely agree. I am so thankful that we do this podcast because it helps a lot with that. It does. Um. You know, I feel like I need more. I want you know, to talk about it, to read it again, to continue to immerse myself in this story. But the book is over, you know. It's over. It's done. So it's so helpful that we get together and we do this Mm -hmm. because it really cures that book hangover. Yeah, it's a really good book hangover cure. Mm. I love it. It's my favorite. All right. Yeah. So exciting. Mm -hmm. So if y'all are going to be reading along with us, next week we're going to be reading, if we're ready for it, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. What's the person's name? E.L. James. <laughs> just goes to show you how much I care about this Only because book. I just put that book on the shelf this morning. <laughs> I'm actually kind of like excited to read this um, because I, I tried to read it and I only got through the first three chapters. <laughs> I've seen all the movies. I've seen all the movies. This is the first book this season that I've not read. Okay, well, this is going to be a great ending book for us. I'm curious to see how it goes. I, however, refused to buy the book. I'm borrowing my mom's copy that she borrowed from someone else. What, you didn't feel like it deserved to be on your shelf? It didn't deserve my money. I may feel differently after I read the book, but... Yeah, exactly. Like, I I haven't read this book yet, so... We'll see how it goes. I know from my limited experience in my first three chapters, not my favorite, but that's okay. I'm curious to take a lighter perspective on romance, though. Oh, thank God. Yeah, what's wrong with us? Like, I don't know why. We did the schedule. We did We this. are the ones who picked the way that we read the books. I don't know why we put so many heavy hitters right smack in the middle of We're the fucking season. We're going to have to season. do this differently next time. Yeah. I mean, next time we go into, like, a difficult season like that, yeah. just, ooh, we'll just space them out. Space it out, because yeah. that is hard. Mm-hmm. So, as always, 
listeners, those book wasters who are out there, please subscribe. You know, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I'd love it if you could, like, leave a review. Oh, that would be amazing. A review would be great. And then if you want to reach out to us, um, at Book Wasted Podcast on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, just go ahead and reach out and like talk to us. I love talking about books. Send me a book meme. Book memes Ooh, are book so memes are good. so good. They're I just the memes. best. Um, and as always, stay, stay wasted, wasted, my friends. friends.